0: Could you hear it? It's so good, you could probably taste it through the microphone or speakers or whatever it is you're listening to this through. If you guys have tuned in before, you've likely heard me mention my affiliation with Blue Apron and how I love nothing more than to have Blue Apron delivered to my door near the weekend so I can grab a nice bottle of wine and enjoy not only the wine, but the art of cooking. Dancing in the kitchen with my wife, playing with my kids, inviting guests over and having super nice bottles of wine and food and enjoying the finer things of life. Who doesn't want that, right? That bottle that I've mentioned to you guys before comes from Dry Farm Wines. And guess what? I've got a brand new partnership with them. You guys know that I only bring partnerships on that I absolutely agree with. Names like Blue Apron, Dry Farm Wines, and my good friends over at Ample, the ultimate meal replacement shake. More about that later in the show. My good friend Todd White at Dry Farm Wines, he's the CEO over there, We just did a podcast a couple of weeks ago. We debunked a ton of the myths in the wine industry. And you guys know me. I love the brain and body connection. And frankly, alcohol just typically doesn't mix in with that. It doesn't mix in with a ketogenic lifestyle. It doesn't mix in with a healthy lifestyle. But now it can because this is science wine. And you guys can stay in a true state of ketosis while drinking this wine. It's not some of the junk I used to drink in my 20s when I couldn't afford wine. It's not that. It is amazing wine. It's real wine. It's natural wine. As you'll hear in my episode with Todd in episode number 203, head to success101podcast.com forward slash 203. Listen to my episode with Todd White. You can check it out there or wherever you find podcasts, and you guys are going to be blown away about the science of how wine can be healthy. There are no additives in this wine. As you'll hear in our episode, the FDA approves 76 different additives for use in winemaking. sugars, sulfites, grape juice concentrate, all sorts of colorings, like mega purple, that purple drink, pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, insecticides, chemical fertilizers, all kinds of other sides that you can think of, and a whole lot more. 38 of those 76 additives, guys, are only considered... G-R-A-S, or Generally Regulated as Safe. That sounds awesome, right, in your wine? You think you're drinking wine from a chateau or a farmhouse, and what you're actually drinking is wine that's been mass-produced in a giant plant somewhere out in Southern California. And you're drinking a bunch of chemicals that the FDA looked at and said, we have no research on this, but it's probably safe. Not a ton of data to know for sure. Seems like these people will be fine. That is not what I want to drink. It's not what you want to drink. Natural wines, on the other hand, clean wines. Number one, I'll just tell you guys, there is an absolute different taste to these wines. There is nothing added. There is nothing removed. It is naked wine. It is free wine. It is natural wine. And it's also sugar-free. It's lab-tested. Every varietal is tested, as you'll hear Todd talk about in our podcast. And the number one thing, as I started this show off mentioning, is that when I get my meal delivery kit with Blue Apron. Head to success101podcast.com forward slash Blue Apron. My team has put a couple of offers over there. If you're like me, you'll get that closer to the weekend and you will enjoy fresh ingredients. It doesn't matter if you think you can't cook. They take all the guesswork out of it. They allow you to cook an amazing meal. But here's the deal. Meals are more enhanced with wine, especially science wine, healthy wine, and that's where Dry Farm Wines comes in. Head to dryfarmwines.com forward slash success101. And here's what the good people over at Dry Farm Wines are going to give you guys. They're going to give you a penny bottle of wine. Again, head to dryfarmwines.com forward slash success101. You'll get your discount there. You'll also get your penny bottle of wine. So seven wine bottles in your order and one of those costs only a penny. Thank me later. Now, on to our show today that I'm so fired up about. I'm going to let this episode speak for itself, but Ed is one of the premier business leaders. He has a passion for mentoring and coaching others on what it takes to become a champion in all areas of life. He has shared the stage with legends like Tony Robbins, John Maxwell, Phil Knight, Shoe Dog, and many others. Welcome to the Success 101 podcast, my friend, Ed Milet. You're going to love this one. New concepts and ideas to help you reach your full potential. Reach
1: your full potential. Reach your full potential. Small win, small win, small win. Keep your momentum going. The Success 101 Podcast.
0: Welcome to the Success 101 Podcast. This is your host, Jared Warren. And each episode, my goal is to bring you a new concept or idea to help you maximize your full potential. Thanks for joining me here today. Now let's kick things off. So Laguna Beach is your home, right? You're you're out there in California.
1: Yeah, that's my dream place to live growing up. I was always my goal place to eventually live there on the beach, you know, as a kid growing up in that area and finally... You know, I was able to afford a place there. Thank God. <laughs> Man,
0: it's, a, it's so beautiful. I've got two trips out there in October. I'm so looking forward to it and uh, just can't wait. And I know just from what I know about you, you wanted to be a professional baseball player. That's really what you were gunning for like early in your life, right?
1: Yeah, all my life I thought that's what I was going to be. Well, that's what everybody told me I was going to be and I was pretty good. So. You know, like for a lot of people, it was hard because my first dream ended in a way that I didn't expect it to. I really didn't make any other plans. You know, there was no backup plan. And so a lot of people relate to that. They were going to be, you know, maybe their first marriage ended or the first business venture ended. Mine was baseball ended, you know, and I had to find myself at the end of that dream trying to figure out what am I going to do with the rest of my life? Because I had this plan I was pretty sure was going to happen. But didn't.
0: It's such a hard switch. I talk to athletes all the time who just, I mean, you hear the stories of people who go on and just make these stellar careers, years and years and years in the MLB or NBA, NFL, whatever. And then you see the guys that are super, super talented and just one wrong turn, one wrong twist just ends it all. They don't know how to recover a lot of times. It's- you know what's
1: also true because I work with them a lot or they're friends of mine is when those – even the guys who make it, though, if inevitably in your life, you're probably going to be faced with that time. So even the guy you describe who plays 18 years MLB, I know that guy now. He's coming to me now going, what do I do? My whole identity is I was the left fielder for the New York you know, Mets or whatever it was, and then that identity has gone. And they're looking at 38 years old or 40 years old. What do they do with the next 50, 60 years of their lives? So human beings are human beings, you know. And so those guys face the same challenge just at a later age in life. And sometimes it's harder because their identity is so refined into that career, into that image of who they are and what they do that you you know you probably know this too you meet a lot of former athletes that are struggling to find their way in life post that career
0: you know it's interesting you say that i i don't know that i've seen it on the other side of it you know sometimes people think oh they had a long lustrous career they're you know set all these records whatever they can just check the bo- check the box now and go relax what you're saying is is that guy that had the career ending injury is the same guy that does it for seasons on end and then goes, what do I do now? Like trying to find their identity.
1: Yeah. Many times it's worse because it's just longer in that identity. And I'm telling you that, I mean, my friends that will listen to this that are athletes that I work with, they're nodding. They're going, yeah, it's hard because you meet a 40 year old man and in the real world, you're still very young and your sport, you're old. And, you know, maybe you made a lot of money, but you know, you paid taxes, you paid your agent. Maybe you got divorced once some of these guys. Right. And so, most of them do not have the amount of money you would think either, and they're faced with 60 years of life left with no income until they figure out what they're gonna do.
0: I guess the only difference is maybe the guy that got injured early on thought, I could have had a long career ahead of me, experienced some of the highs of the highs. Instead, I've got the low of lows, and that's that's all I've got to go off of. The
1: guy who never did it lives with the regret. The guy who did it now lives with changing his identity and being somebody new. That's the difference.
0: Yeah. And like I said earlier, some of those guys, they, they don't know how to transition. Some guys do not know how to pick up from when that identity is over with and
1: done. Yeah, and we all relate to that. I would say that it's probably 10% of the athletes that I work with or I know have transitioned successfully and smoothly into what I'd call being a civilian.
0: We'll get into this where you are now, for those who don't know you, but it wasn't all roses for you, right? I mean, there was a time where you lost your home, you had your car repoed, your electricity and water cut off. I even, I think I even remember you you were showering at the pool shower because you didn't have a shower anymore because your water got cut off. Take us back to that time and just what was going on in your mind
1: at that time. Yeah, I was very down. <laughs> um, You know, if you're an entrepreneur, you've already faced the criticism and ridicule of people around you that love you, half of them of which you're doing it for them, right? And then to then fail on top of it for me was pretty dramatic. And all the things you listed there are bad. You know, having your car repossessed is embarrassing and terrible. And having my house foreclosed on was horrible. Power turned off really, really bad, but it does not compare to water, man, when you it's kind of like when you have an injury. You hurt your back. All of a sudden, you really appreciate a back, a healthy back. You know, you hurt your pinky. You're like, man, this pinky pretty important. Well, you lose water, I'm telling you, you can't bathe. You can't cook. There's a whole bunch of problems with that. And it got to the point it was pretty shameful. I was newly married and I ended up. Every morning we would have to get up, you know, early before everybody else in the apartment complex would get up. Now that we're living in an apartment, right? We got one car, we're down to one car, no house. And then uh, the capper was going down to that shower every morning at the apartment's pool and my, having my new bride shower in there. Me too. I'd have to hold a towel up because there was no door. It's freezing cold. And then we'd walk back up to the apartment and get ready for our day. And it was just shameful for me. I was ashamed. And it was difficult to then, you know, many of you relate to this or listen to this. I had to go out to the world and put on this face that I was going to win or I was successful and everything was great when at home I didn't have water, you know. And so to this day, I do have some magnificent homes and I'm very grateful for them. I don't mean to make it anything cheesy. You know, I, I do look I'm right now as we're talking, I'm staring out at the lake. My daughter and my wife are on a trampoline out in front of my house. They, my son just rolled up on one of my sea That's literally what I'm looking at right now. I'm very grateful for that. I, I'm not going to lie to you. Um, But there are days where the thing I'm most grateful for, and it's such a cool thing when it happens, I'll pull that faucet in the shower. I'm not kidding you either. And that water hits me in the face and I'm flooded with gratitude that there is just water in my home, regardless of where that house is. So I still appreciate those times have made me appreciate where we are now. Um, so much more than if it had been easy. All that stuff happened for me, not to me in hindsight.
0: I'm just curious what was your life like before that? So now you're a married guy, you got your new bride as you said you're going through this uh, you know humiliation, let's call it what it is. I know your dad, the story I've heard uh, from your family previously is your dad had somewhat of a drinking problem. I don't know how deep or you know shallow that was, but what was family like for you back then and how, did that prepare you for that? Taking a shower down at the pool was it dramatically different than what you went through as with your dad and and your family growing up?
1: I grew up in the middle, you know. I grew up in middle class America, probably lower middle class, which I think is a tough place to win. All places are tough to win from, but you know, when you're wealthy, you at least have connections and can model behavior. When you're poor, you kind of know what you don't want. You're fighting. You know, when you're in the middle, it's kind of like goods. The enemy are great, right? So, from a financial standpoint, there was always food on the table. I always got a present on my birthday. Um, And if you saw my family, you'd think "Oh, mom, dad, three or four kids, three girls, myself, I'm the oldest boy, middle America. But if you got through the front door into my house, you'd see some real dysfunction there when I was a little boy. A lot of anxiety, a lot of stress. My dad's drinking problem. I think my dad would tell you that it was severe. I think he would say that. Um I recall it being severe, you know, there were times where he didn't come home. So you were old enough you were old enough even then to recognize that hey this is a problem. No question. My sisters and I would talk about it. We'd plan on my parents divorce. Who are you going to go with? I mean I'm talking real anxiety as a kid. And my dad wow. now my dad's my best friend. He's been sober 30 years. I'm very proud of him. But uh certainly I grew up like many of you. There's just it wasn't a perfect family. There was dysfunction. There was stress, anxiety. Whether you grew up in a family that had alcohol or drugs like mine or there was divorce Or your parents just didn't feel good about themselves and they sort of just put that on you. You know, we all, very few people grew up perfectly and I'm a product of real dysfunction in a family. And again, all of that in hindsight, if you look at the story of my life, all of it happened for me. All my first career, all of it came from my dad drinking, ironically. Just crazy.
0: That's unbelievable to go go through that and the conversations your sisters and you were having about who's going to split up and go with who. And. Now you can look back on that and say, this happened for me. I mean, I know we never see that going through it, right? I mean, we, we can't see the picture for the frame that we're in, but we look back and realize that kind of fast forward to where you are now, you've said before that your greatest skill, and this is so fascinating to me, I'm, I'm really eager to dive into this with you. Your greatest skill is loving and caring about people. Where did that switch flip for you and how do you maintain that today now that success significance uh higher elite status whatever fill in the blank whatever you want to there i mean you've been at the bottom and then you've been where you are now and hasn't the chaotic world around us shown us that it's become harder to care about people and and less to care about self when you're on the top like how how have you actually gone the other direction to care more about people and less about self with the success you've achieved
1: wow no one's asked me it that way i i had uh so my dad's drinking happened for me, right? I'll give you the Reader's Digest. I had come home from baseball. I ended up being unemployed. I was living at my mom and dad's house, living in the same bed I grew up in. <clears throat> my dad came home from an AA meeting, one of those Alcoholics Anonymous meetings. He said, hey, get your ass up in the morning. You're going to McKinley Home for Boys in San Dimas. And I said, well, what is it? He goes, it's a job. Be there. And I said, what's it pay? He says, it does not matter what it pays or what it does. I got you one. Be there. And uh, I showed up there the next morning. I said, hey, I'm here for the job. They're like, what job? I said, I have no idea. They said, hit the road. I got to the door. I'll never forget this. And I turned around. I said, I I really need this job. I'll never forget this. Actually, I don't know why right now. That makes me emotional, that moment. I turned around at this two people that were sitting at the desk. I said, I really need this. And I didn't even know what it was. I just knew I needed to shift what I was doing. And they said, well, what is the job? I said, I don't know. They said, we can't help you. They said, who's hiring you? I said, I don't. I said, wait a minute. His name's Tim. And they said, Tim who? I said, I don't know. They said, come back when you know what you're talking about. And as I started to turn the doorknob, no joke, I looked back. I said, well, I know he's an alcoholic. And they go, oh, drunk Tim. We know Tim. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that uh, Tim. Yeah. Cottage 8. I'm like, okay. And I show up in Cottage 8. I walked through that door and my life changed. And what happened was through that door, There were eight, McKinley is a campus of group homes, hundreds of boys. All of them were removed from their home, either because their parents are incarcerated, molested them or dead. And I walked in and there's these, my cottage was, my boys were seven to 10 years old. There were nine boys looking back at me. And these boys looked just like little Eddie Milet in his house when his dad was drinking. Scared, anxiety, fearful, insecure, shy. And they just wanted somebody to love them, man, care about them, believe in them, help them. And just like I did when I was a little boy. So
0: that's why you were able to relate to them at that time. Because I'll, I'll tell you, a lot of 22-year-old guys that are wrapped up in themselves or life or whatever they're doing, even if
1: they're going to get a job. Especially the guy who was an athlete, everything I was always told how great I was, it was an about face. And if you think about it, if my dad doesn't drink, he's not at the AA meeting, he doesn't get me the job. If my dad doesn't drink, I can't connect with these boys on the level that only I could because I came from dysfunction. And so in that moment, I went from an egotistical, driven, competitive, money motivated, significance jerk of a young 22 year old into somebody who was addicted to serving, contributing, helping and loving people as a young man. And not a little bit. I mean, like I was the guy that was there when they came home from school. I was there Christmas morning. I was there on trick or treat night on Halloween And it changed my young life. And I didn't belong there. I didn't have a psychology degree. I wasn't old enough, but I was there. And I certainly made no money. But that shifted me. And then it was while I was working there that I got introduced to the business that I ended up being successful in. And I was one of the rare people that I've met, and it was only because of circumstance and blessing, that I approached business from cause, from love, from help, from contribution, not from significance and money. And, I, and that's what got me to endure when the water was turned off because I loved what I was standing for. I loved my cause, I loved the contribution I was making through my business. Because if business is always just about money, there is going to be seasons where you don't have any and that's what knocks most people out. But if you're addicted to the cause, addicted to your passion, addicted to where you're going and the difference you can make with your business, nothing can get you taken out of it. And that's the shift that happened for me. I wanted to bring you guys one of my favorite meal replacement
0: drinks called Ample. That's A-M-P-L-E. Super quality ingredients from Connor Young and the team over at Ample to get your brain and body going in peak performance every single day. It's soy-free, gluten-free, non-GMO, no artificial sweeteners, no artificial flavors, and they have some of the world's most choice ingredients that you can't just go pick up at your local Whole Foods or Central Market, or anywhere else that you shop organically, they've got healthy fats, quality proteins, probiotics and prebiotics, a ton of plant-based micronutrients, clean burning carbohydrates that burn with a low glycemic impact, and then a lot of other great ingredients that I would never think to put in a smoothie or a shake, dried honey, Himalayan sea salt, monk fruit extract, the list goes on and on. You guys know I'm all about the brain and the body, and Ample goes right along with everything that I believe on how to fuel up as you're getting out the door each day. And for faithful listeners of the Success 101 podcast, you guys are going to get 15% off your order. Just head to success101podcast.com forward slash Ample, that's A-M-P-L-E, and at checkout, enter Success 101 in the promo code, and you guys are going to snag 15% off of this awesome meal in a bottle. Now back to the show. What is it about... Family. You've mentioned your family previously, and, and earlier in this talk, you mentioned your wife and daughter out on the trampoline. And I've, I've heard you're just you're such a family guy. Twenty two years old. You're going in working with these kids. I'll tell you. I mean, I'm trying to get better at this. I've got three daughters that have softened me up more than you can imagine. So- But at 22 years old, I would have been, and I haven't even done what you've done by that age, but at 22 years old, I would have been like, man, okay, I'll spend some time with these kids or whatever, but I got to figure out what I'm going to do, whatever. What is it about family that draws you in and reaches you so deeply? You just got emotional a second ago and you said, hey, I don't know why this is making me emotional right now. What is it about emotions that draws you in so deeply when so many entrepreneurs today are not present? They're living in the chaotic life. It's all about self and they're leaving their family almost sometimes as an afterthought again, back to my, my previous question, as you've gotten more successful, what has made you more emotional and drawn in versus less emotional and drawn
1: out? Yeah. my well, Let me say first that my family, my, my love for family is because it was always in jeopardy as a child, for sure. I just didn't know if I was going to have one. I didn't know if we were going to stay together. My dad would leave on these drinking bitches and say, you're the man of the house. Take care of your mom and your sisters. You know, I never really had a childhood because I was supposed to protect our family. So I think part of it was that. And then I, I don't want to sound like I'm perfect, brother. All drivers struggle with being present with their family. And I'm, no, right. I'm not different than that. I have become methodical about it, candidly. Um, my wife is pretty good at reminding me, hey, go downstairs and talk to Bella. You know, she's pretty good about it. Um, so I don't want you all to think that I've got that mastered. But I will tell you that. I have developed myself a bunch of habits, rituals, and routines that serve me because if, you, if I leave myself to my own devices, I told my wife this morning, babe, I'm going to be in the cave all day working. And I said, my last one's at six o'clock. I want to do something special with the kids tonight because they're not going to see me all day. So we're going out to dinner at seven. Like I schedule it. So the, the, that's a perfect example of this sounds cold and calculated, but it's the most loving thing you can do as an entrepreneur. And that is this, schedule the appointments in your calendar with your family. They don't need to know it's scheduled, but I schedule it. And the other thing I've become pretty good at, which is the hardest thing in the world, is I agreed to myself that the minute I walk through the front door for the first hour, my phone is off just for the first hour. That doesn't mean all night. That's crazy. But when I walk in the door, they don't say, hey, daddy, and I'm looking at my phone. Dad, are you listening to me? And I'm looking at my phone because they used to say it. And, they, and, they, and I'd, I'd have entire conversations where they would leave a room and I couldn't remember we had talked. And so I finally said, before I get in there, that phone is off for the first hour and I am 100% present with these people who are my entire world before I walk in the front door.
0: That's huge because I, I think so many entrepreneurs today are realizing the chaos that they're in with their families or with their just uh, not being present, right? I mean, the biggest weakness so, so far of what I've seen with my own coaching clients or people that I'm working with is the regret of not being present. But what do they do? They go right back into another situation. They're not present again. But that, that whole idea of there's no middle ground. It's either you're on your phone and you regret it, or some people have gotten actually really good about putting their phone in a basket when they walk in and being fully present with their family. I often wonder how long that's actually going to last, right? Because you'll you'll get
1: back into it. Well, it's funny. It got to the extreme with me. If we could be completely candid, I leave it in my car because that bet with me of keeping it in my pocket, I would break. So,
0: But my point is you're doing it for an hour, which is actually doable. Right. Like we're all human. We're all fallible. We all suck. Like let's just be present, right? Exactly. So the fact of you saying it's not realistic to keep it off for the whole night, I love that because if you can keep it off for an hour... If you realize you need to keep it off for another hour, you'll you'll do that, but you're not going to keep it off all night. I think that's way more doable than people who are trying to go one extreme or the other. And I love that.
1: Well, the other thing it does just for everybody is my kids look forward to me coming home because they know, man, I'm alert and there. I mean, it sounds so amazing that we have to talk about this, but it's every other area of my life. It's like I wouldn't be fit if I didn't make an appointment with myself to work out. Right. I mean, I pray at the same two times every single doesn't mean I don't pray randomly throughout the day. But you know what? When I wake up in the morning, I'm saying my prayer. When I go to bed at night, I pray. And ironically, it's cold. That's an appointment I have with the Lord every day. And it just serves me to have these habits. Look, the best people in anything in life ever in life have the best habits, rituals and routines. So if you want to be the best father or the best mother, you have to ask yourself, what are my habits, rituals and routines with my not how much I love them, not how much I want to do it. Not any of that, not the sacrifice I'm making, that's all BS. What is your habit, ritual, and routine that proves you love your family the most? And for me, if you asked me that 10 years ago, I would be devoid of any decent answer. I mean, just there was not a good answer. But if you had asked me at that time, what's your habits, rituals, and routines in your business life, I'd go, boom, 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 boom. How about your body? Boom, boom, boom. How about your diet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How about your faith? Eh, we go Sundays. At least that was something, right? Right. Right, how much right. family? Uh, you know, I'm with them. So I had to, I, what are your habits, rituals, and routines as it relates to your family? And that'll tell me how present you are. It'll tell me, it'll frankly tell me what kind of a father or mother you are, not how much you love them, none of that, what your habits are.
0: So obviously you believe in your habits, rituals, routines, but I've heard you say before, it's hard to believe you personally. It's it's hard to believe in you in Ed Milet yourself. I mean, where does that come from for a guy who has reached the levels you have, as you said, you're not perfect, right? Uh, I think everybody listening to this knows that. We're all flawed. But if you believe in habits, rituals, routines to get you to where you are, life's happening for you, not against you, but yet say, man, it's really hard sometimes to believe in myself, even now in 2018. Where does that come from based on a guy who's reached what you have so far?
1: I think a healthy place. I think if you were to ask Tom Brady the same thing about his quarterbacking in a different way, he'd answer you similarly. And that is that I'm uh, I'm not even when I meet people my wife always accuses me she'll say gosh you, you just believe in people too much I have this really weird habit of when I meet somebody I can I see them as they could be not as they are and so every once in a while that's hurt me frankly in business because maybe I believed in people to an extent that wasn't true about them So the reason that I lack some of my own self-confidence sometimes and I still struggle with it I've built all these ha- these these techniques frankly that help me with my self-confidence is I'm really not measured against me now. I'm measuring me against the man I was born to be. I measure myself against my ultimate version of me. And everyone in the social media, personal development world uses that ultimate version of me statement. But I live deeply by the conviction that I am chasing down the man I was born to be. And so measured up against him, who he could be, who he could contribute, his memories, his moments, his achievements, the difference he could make compared to me now, I don't measure up. And so it's not so much that I lack self-confidence because I have confidence. Self-confidence comes from the habit of keeping promises we make to ourselves. I'm loaded with having kept promises I make to myself. I, I, I'd say high self-confidence now. What I lack is I think um, self. sometimes I lack self-satisfaction, which is I'm never satisfied. And that can be healthy, I think. I think you're supposed to live blissfully dissatisfied. That means being in a state of bliss, happiness, yet dissatisfaction. People confuse happiness and satisfaction. They think if I'm happy, then I'm satisfied. They're not correlated to each other at all. Bliss and satisfaction are two totally different things. And the most fulfilled people have learned to be blissful and dissatisfied simultaneously. Because here's a flawed thinking, if you let me just elaborate for a second on this. Absolutely. People think in life, hey, man, if I let myself enjoy this, I'm going to lose my drive. That's one set of flawed thinking. There's no relationship or correlation whatsoever to happiness and losing your drive, yet people think there's a correlation. So even many of you achievers, you're like, hey, man, if I let myself enjoy this, man, I'll leave my drive. That's been my recipe. Not true. In fact, the way the brain works is if you cheat yourself out of a dopamine hit, celebrating your wins and being happy eventually your brain is less and less likely to want to achieve. You burn out. Burnout is actually the technical term, the generic term for something technical that means your brain stops producing dopamine when you go to achieve. And that's called burnout. You lose desire. So if you keep cheating yourself out of happiness when you achieve, you will eventually literally burn out the dopamine in your brain. So that's stupid. That's number one. But everybody does it. The second part is people who say, no, I'll be happy when? I'll be blissful when, when I get my relationship I want, when I get the car I want, when I get the money I want, when I get the career. They delay their happiness to a future destination. The challenge is you're going to bring you with you there and you will never arrive. So that's a formula for unhappiness. A great life is someone who lives blissfully now yet is dissatisfied. So I think I'm a pretty blissful, happy guy. What I'm not is satisfied. And that's that's the struggle for me is chasing down that version of me I know I'm capable of, yet learning to be blissful and happy in the moment now.
0: Talbin Shahar talks about this with his four archetypes of happiness in his book, Happiness or Happier. He talks about the rat racer, which is the person you were just describing, which is the person that says, hey, it's just over the horizon. Once I accomplish this, 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 and this, then I'll be happy. Well, then they get there and they go, oh man, well, okay, I got there. That wasn't that tough. Um, Maybe it's that other thing over the horizon. They just keep chasing and chasing. Self-confidence you mentioned is self-trust based on the promises you make to yourself. So if you don't keep the promises you make to yourself, then you lose that self-confidence. And so I guess I would say just people out there that we see every day, people who lack self-confidence, they're going to worry about what people think about them. They're going to worry about what they haven't followed through on. And it, really, that's because they haven't followed through on the promises they've made to themselves. Is that what you were saying?
1: Yeah. Well, the symptom, the symptom is that you worry about what everybody thinks about you. That's the symptom. The disease is you don't think very highly of yourself. And so you're seeking this acknowledgement from other people. If you were truly self-confident, other people's opinions about you would be irrelevant. But because you don't hold a high opinion of yourself, you seek that validation from other people. This is a fact. We see this in others, but it's hard to acknowledge about ourselves. I can honestly tell you that I'm at a stage in my life where I care very little about what other people think about me because I'm aware of my reputation with myself. That doesn't mean I don't want people to like me. I do, but I know me and they don't. I know my intentions. People don't know your intent. They don't know your heart. And if you spend your life, this is a harsh thing, but I've been telling many of my coaching people that are you know the really wealthy ones this lately. If you continue to spend your life addicted to what other people think about you, here's the good news. When you're dead, nobody's gonna think about you because you're never going to achieve anything. So if you want to spend your life worrying about what other people think about you, you will spend eternity with nobody thinking about you because you will never have achieved your full potential. So that's what it costs you to worry about what other people. So the next time you start getting that feeling, just remember, every time you give in, you indulge in this idiocy of worrying what other people think about you. You are cementing in your life and solidifying the fact that once you are gone from this earth, nobody will think about you.
0: What about the person who hears that and says, I'm supposed to be, as a leader, able to take criticism. I'm supposed to be able to take the 360 feedback with humility. I have to care what people think about me because if people who I choose to input things into my life or to speak into me, if they're telling me things and I've surrounded myself with the right people, then I better be worried about what they think about me. I know you're talking about just the general public out there. What about the people who say, what about the people that I really love and trust and I've built huge relationships with? They're telling me what they think about me.
1: There's a difference between somebody's opinion about you and they're, they're coaching you on a behavior. Those are completely different things for me. So hundred I'm like, I, I got to be honest with you. In that sense, I seek, I think, I think humility See, I played baseball. So when a coach would say to me, hey, you're dropping your left shoulder, don't do that. I would go, oh my gosh, he thinks I can't hit. I'd say, thanks coach, I won't drop my shoulder, right? So in my business life, I've always sought out this because what overrides everything is me wanting to be that ultimate version of me. If that means don't drop my shoulder or don't work in a certain way or conduct my... So I want to get better. I separate someone's criticism about a behavior or technique I use And their assessment of me as a human being. And so what you're doing when you say that is you're saying, I'm saying someone's assessment of my intent, someone's assessment of my capacity, someone's assessment of who I am as a human being, I am unconcerned with. Someone's assessment of my behavior and how I can improve myself, 100% I want that feedback. That's a totally different thing
0: changing your identity. We've talked about kind of one step of changing your identity, self-confidence. I know number 2 or the second part of that is just association of the people who you hang out with and how they force you to heat up or cool down. You've talked about a thermostat before and how our life really should be viewed like a thermostat. Go into that a little bit if you don't mind.
1: Well, our lives are. So I'm writing about this in this book you 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 and I were talking about earlier. I have a book coming out here soon called uh, ma- hashtag #Max out. It's a strategies that I've shared with all these elite people you know, at a high level that I want to share with the whole world so more and more people can perform at their elite, their maxed out level. Um, but I must tell you that I spend a lot of time in this book. It's only 100 pages, but I spend the majority of the time on these topics. And so the first thing I will tell you is that you're, everyone, everyone, when you're growing up, everyone told you you are who you hang around and there's some validity to that. But your life, your identity, your identity is basically the ideas, concepts and thoughts that you hold to be true about yourself, your worth, your value, your belief. And that you will never exceed that in your life ever, never, ever. You'll exceed it short term and then you'll cool it back down. So what I talk about it is that identity, that worth, those ideas, concepts, beliefs you hold about yourself are like a life thermostat. They govern everything. So right. In fact, this room I'm in right now is too hot, frankly. But let's say the thermostat right now said at 77 degrees. OK, if I open the door. Outside, it's about 90. No matter what the external conditions are outside that blow through this door of my room or your life, that thermostat kicks in and regulates the room back to 76, 77 degrees, right? It cools it back down. Consequently, had I opened the door and it were freezing outside, external conditions are cold. My internal thermostat will heat things back up to 76 degrees. That's exactly how your life works. 100% for sure your internal identity Heat. That's why when life's got going really great before, you're making more money than you've ever had, relationships, body, something happens. You it's It seems coincidental, car breaks down, a bill happens, someone quits your business, so something happens with an account, you have a bad meal, you get injured, whatever it is, it seems coincidental, what happened was, your results started to exceed your identity and you were finding a way to cool your life back down to what you believe you're worth. The reverse is also true, you lost a job, you had a breakup, things were miserable, You find yourself back in life to about the same place, don't you, eventually? You heated life back up. So the critical component of a life is not only just self-confidence, but it's this identity that we hold. It changes everything. I'm looking at this lake. I'm on that ocean. Whatever, my jet, whatever the heck you want to say materially. Those are just external things that are not all that important. But internally, my thermostat has gone up from a young man of being very low, like in the 30s to my mid-career in my 70s, the 90s, and 100s. It's heated up over my life. And to this day, I'm trying to fix this thermostat to get it higher and higher and higher because I know it governs everything in my life. The main thing that governs it are, are your closest associations like for real. So I'm always seeking out new people that I can add to my close group that stretch me in the area I want to be stretched. So in my faith life, I surround myself with good godly men whose internal thermostat as it comes to their faith and their Christianity, I'm a Christian, is higher than mine. And I can't help but be heated up and more faithful by being around them. In my money life, I've tried to associate with you know, people you know now, Tony Robbins or Sly Stallone. They heat up my money thermostat, my body. Th- I have different groups of people that serve me in these different areas. And I am seeking them constantly. And I tell them I am. I'm not afraid to ask for their help. I never have been. That's what's changed my life.
0: So we talked about changing identity. And just to recap for people listening there, self-confidence is self-trust based on promises you make to yourself. If you right. don't keep those promises, then you will lose self-confidence. That's such a, I mean, it's it's simple, but it's not simple, right? To play out in real life. People who like self-confidence, they worry about what people think about themselves. They're the ones who have not followed through on promises made to themselves. And then number two, your changing of identity or believing in yourself is the association of the people you hang around with. And if they force you to heat up or cool down in life, as you're mentioning that thermometer, you've said before that you are always in crisis, which some people might think, oh my gosh, why do I want to be in crisis? The way you mean it though, is you're chasing the man that you could be or should be and that each age should be a crisis for you. The person you are at 25, you should never have anything to do with that guy when you're 30. And the person you are at 30, you should never have anything to do with that guy when you're 35 if you're truly maturing.
1: I don't think most people that live like I live sound like I sound. I almost sound uncomfortable, don't I? Like I, I sound like I'm in a hurry to move on. To, I don't, I don't, I, I, uh, I so my daughter is the one who is the most candid with me. We were at dinner a while ago. She goes, daddy, you're in a midlife crisis. And I said, what boo? goes, come on, you are grown out a beard, you're on social media. And I said, you know what, boo, uh, daddy is in a midlife crisis. And uh, when I was 22, I was in a crisis to be a different person when I was 23. When I was 30, I was in a crisis to be different when I was 31. And it's an actual crisis. When my son was little, we were at a car wash. He was six. This very nice man was sitting there and I'd seen him there many times. And he says, hey, enjoy the six-year-old son of yours because when he's seven, that six-year-old's gone forever. And when he's seven... Enjoy it, because the eight-year-old comes and the seven-year-old's gone forever. And every parent, listen, this can relate. It's totally true. And I didn't mean to be rude, but I said back to him, I said, "Sir, when did that stop for you?" And he just stared at me. And he went, "I go the, you know, the changing of you." And I said, "You should figure that out." And I remember I was young. I mean, I was, I was, you know, I was just getting into business at that time, and it occurred to me. I ain't ever being that guy. Benjamin Franklin said "We most men die at 25. We just don't bury them until they're 75. Some age yeah. out there, maybe it's 19, 20, 24, 25, these versions of us start replicating themselves, and we wonder why our life doesn't change, right? And so I am in a fight. Here's what I think. I think at the end of my life as a Christian, I want the Lord to say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what I want. And I think in saying that, he reveals to you. Here's the man or the woman you were born to be, you were destined to be. This is the ultimate version of you. This is who I saw when I made you, the, the person you could have been. You could have contributed, the memories, the moments, the contribution, the difference you could have made. This is who you could have been. Meet him. And I think an ideal life, a heaven, would be meeting that person who are identical twins. And that guy looks at me. My dream is that guy looks at me goes, man, I've been watching you. And I'd say, man, I've been chasing you. And he goes, you're just like me. And I said, amen. That's heaven. Hell would be you meet that person and you're total strangers. You meet that person you could have been and you're total strangers. And the only way you end up meeting him or her and you're perfectly matched is that you're chasing him every day. So I measured against that person, not who I am now, as I said earlier. And that's what compels me to want to change my identity. That's what compels me to want to work on my self-confidence, contribute more, achieve more, help more, laugh more, ecstasy more bliss more all of it more because that's who that guy is I was born to be and that's my governor of my life
0: just from what I know about you faith is a huge part of you you just mentioned that as well but ego gets big as we get successful just self importance gets big how do you keep your ego in check with the success that you've had i mean what was it 200 million dollars of net worth by the time you were 45 i mean that that'll take your ego to a higher level i don't care who you are but how do you keep your ego in check and not forget your blessings? You're huge on self-confidence, as we've mentioned already, but how do those play together in your life where you say, look, I've got blessings that have happened to me because life has happened for me, not to me, but yet I've also got self-confidence. I think people really struggle with that where they're like, okay, I'm a person of faith or, or maybe even they're not. But if you're a person of faith, especially like you and I are, how does life happen to me? Everything is blessings. The good Lord has provided this. The good creator has provided all of this for me. I'm just a bystander in my life. But by the way, I've got to have some self-confidence as well or all this is not going to come together. How do you tie all of that together?
1: Well, that's so great. I'm going to give you the be- it's the best question I've ever been asked. By the way, you ask incredible questions and it's a struggle for me. It's a struggle for everybody who's an achiever is the honest answer. Now I'm going to tell you something that may sound controversial, but I think breaking promises to myself is a sin. I think it's a lie I've told myself. I think self-confidence is directly connected to my faith because it's a promise that I've kept to myself. And so, um, I'm a big believer that I love the parable of the sower. Yeah, It's one of my favorite parables. And what I love about it is because it requires both of you, right? In other words, my job is to plant the seeds in life faithfully make the phone calls, see the people, do the podcast, whatever your business is, right? And I have to have faith that yeah, I know in life the wind's going to get some of it, the weather, the birds are going to pick some of the seeds, right? But I believe faithfully that there's a harvest if I keep planting seeds in my life. And so that's why there's a part of it that's a mine, that's mine. Faith without works is dead. And the overriding part of it is the Lord's been really good to me because my ego does get me sometimes. I'm a man, right? And the Lord's right. a really good way with me. Bless him. The Lord has a great way of of humbling me in major ways. So every time my ego starts creeping in, and it can from time to time, he has a wonderful way of announcing with authority that it isn't me. So there's humbling experiences come along. I also have a wife who could care less about anything material or anything achievement related. Zero. And I'm talking zero. And so she's pretty good at reminding me where these things come from as well. And that's also why I said earlier, part of my identity group are men of faith because I want them to be reminding me. I know left to my own devices. I'm a man. I'll sin. I'll make make mistakes. My ego will get the better of me. And so I'm conscious of it, though, because at this stage of my life, it is the thing I need to be almost most careful of. Most mistakes I would make at this point in my life would be ego related. They stepping out, doing the wrong things in business or in my own personal conduct or taking credit for things that aren't mine. And so, but I do believe the Lord gave us each other. He gave us technology. The Lord gave us our brains to improve and to use. And I think he wants us to use these things. What I always ask myself is the work I'm doing for good. Does it glorify God? Does it help people or does it not? And if I feel like I'm at least intending to do good, that typically the Lord will bless me over time because he knows I'm going to sin. I'm a sinner saved by the grace of God, period. End of story. That's never going to change for me. And so it's something that's there all the time. It's one of the great battles of being alive and being a human. But the alternative is to do what too many churches cheat, which is poverty preaching, which is that no achievement matters. No difference you make matters. Let's all lay around and hold hands and think good thoughts. That's not what you were put here to do. You were put here to make a difference. Your life matters, it has purpose to it. You're supposed to make a difference in the world. You're supposed to glorify God. You're supposed to make a difference for your family. I happen to believe that God would love his children to get good educations, to live in safe neighborhoods, to become educated, to be lights in the world. And so I try to spread that message as much as I can. Sometimes it's controversial, but I stand by those things and I believe in them strongly
0: all the way back, everything we talked about, where you're taking showers with your new bride at the pool and you're having kids and now they've become so much part of your life and they're challenging you on certain things. There are different chapters of our life that are for us, as you've mentioned, not happening to us, right? And and we may be only in that for a season and we may be out of that and into something else that we're really passionate about. But for Ed Milet right now, with everything you've got going on, all the stuff that's happening to you. What would you say is your highest focus right now? What are you racing toward every day when your eyes pop open each morning?
1: Wow, best question. Um, I spent the first forty-five years of my life. I'm forty-seven. I spent the first forty-five years of my life trying to build my own family's life, our our dream, and I want to spend the second half of my life helping other people build theirs. And I feel like my experiences, some of the blessings and giftedness that I've been given. And my experiences have prepared me to help people do that. And I'm on fire about it. I, you know, I'm not called to ministry, but yet my business life and my work of helping people find the best version of themselves, because let me just, now that we're talking faith, if I could say this to you, absolutely, the best version of you is the one that moves towards closer to Christ. That's the best version of you. And so, but people see churches coming a mile away. If they wanted that church, they'd walk into it. And so I'm a unique vessel that I have the stuff they think they want. Mansions, jets, right? And I'm able to say, you can have all these things, but here's what really matters. What really matters is your identity. What really matters is your faith. What really matters is do you keep the promises you make to yourself and other people, right? What really matters is your family. And so I'm in a unique position. So my vision for it, to be specific, because I'm a very specific guy, by the time I'm 60 years old, I want my content my message to have reached a hundred million people. That's what I want. And so, and I believe that'll happen. I'm not so sure that won't happen before I'm 55 years old because we're racing, we're way ahead of schedule. And then I want to be able to, I'm hoping create a whole bunch of leaders out there who make the world a better place by spitting some of the same knowledge and truth that I do in their various different ways. And if I do that, that's great. People also want to say, what do you want your legacy to be? I don't, my legacy is my children. I don't need to be remembered or anything like that. But I, because I, I'm in the, I'm hopefully the Lord remembers me. <laughs> that's what matters. And so <laughs> right. it's not like, you know, other than that, I don't know what else would matter. So I certainly, I, and I don't, I don't like when a show, like when I come off on a show, like I've got it all figured out. I think one of the things that makes me maybe been a little bit attractive to people through social media, my podcast is I kind of feel like. People know, hey, this guy's learned a lot and I can learn from him. But what I like is he's still learning. He still doesn't think he has it all figured out. He still struggles with certain things because I do. I don't have it all figured out. I don't have every answer. Oftentimes when I do Q&A in front of large groups, people are surprised. Once in a while I go, I don't know. I don't know. There's stuff I don't know. Right? If I thought I knew everything, you ought to not listen to anything I said. 100%. So I don't know everything. But I'm trying to figure it out.
0: How do you think people in today's world sabotage themselves or leaders, people, and I say leaders, meaning in business, but also at home, people that want to be great fathers, great mothers, and just feel like they don't have enough time, they don't have enough impact, they're constantly making mistakes. How do you think your mind, what you've seen people sabotage themselves the most?
1: Look, people think I have to be the most motivated person to win, the most motivated mom, the most motivated business person, the most motivated person in the gym. And the motivation is very important in life. Believe me, we're trying to motivate you right now to some extent. But the truth of the matter is motivation is never your constant companion. But what is your constant companion are your habits, your rituals, and your routines. That's what kicks in when you're stressed, when you're tired, when you have a perfect example would be my dad drinking. Stress would kick in. He'd need to have a drink. That was, his, that was his ritual. That was his habit. So for you, when stress kicks in, you go into some kind of habit mode. And it might be self-destructive. It could be fatigue. It could be saying the wrong thing. It could be alcohol. It could be disconnectedness. It could be eating. It could be whatever. And so the caliber of your life is going to be made up by the caliber of your habits, rituals, and routines because motivation is going to let you down. And so I'm a freak. In this book, I talk extensively about what my habits are, like really detailed. Like, What do I do the first five minutes when I get up in the morning? What do I do 10 minutes after I'm awake? What do I do before I go to bed at night? And so I structure my life so that there's a higher probability of winning. And part of that structure has to do with my faith and prayer. You'll hear it when you read the book or see it, supposedly. So, so for me, it's, it's all about my habits, rituals, and routines and my identity. If I think I'm worth it and I have great habits, rituals, and routine, I'm a really powerful force backed by God.
0: I've got to insert right here, my cousin, Michael. He's the one that turned me on to you. What I've learned about you is someone who is, and I hope listeners are really hearing this, this, the success that you've had, you kind of fly under the radar. I heard your podcast with my good friend, Lewis Howes, who I know very well, and he didn't even know you until you guys got connected. And he's like, holy cow, I learned about Ed Milet and just the legacy and all, you know, he's just blown away. My cousin, Michael, mentioned you to me and I'm like, oh, I haven't heard about him. I'll check him out. And I started going, checking you out. And I'm like, how do I not know about this guy? He asked me, I said, Michael, is there one thing you want me to ask him? And he said, I want to know more about his routine, morning, evening routine, all of his routines and his diet, because he doesn't talk about that a whole lot in the things that he mentions. But I know he's got to have an awesome routine in order to keep pace that he's going. And so I'd love for you to talk about that.
1: I'm a big believer that if I can control the first 30 minutes of my day and the last 30 minutes of my day, I have a larger chance of controlling the middle and And so from the minute I wake up, it starts out like something like this. When I wake up and I get up early, I actually talk about sleep in the book as well. How to sleep deeper, sooner in your sleep and get the right types of sleep, but restorative sleep. Having said that, I wake up. The first thing I do is I drink a liter of water. It's the very first thing I do in the morning because your body is 70 percent water. Most of us are chronically dehydrated. We don't know it. I drink a liter of water. First thing I do. Then when I get up, I do my uh, prayer and meditation right away first thing in the morning. There's a rule. It sounds similar to what I said earlier. I do not look at my phone the first 30 minutes of the day, period. Hardest thing in life to do, best thing you could ever do for yourself because what's on that phone is a problem. It's a text. It's an email. It's something you got to return and you begin your day reacting. Do not do that as if that thing won't be there 30 more minutes from now at at 5 a.m. I do not look at it. It's not there for the first 30 minutes. So after I do my prayer, et cetera, et cetera, then I go do something cold. And when I say cold, I mean cold. So this is a habit of many elite achievers. It's a secret, but I go jump in the ocean. I go jump in the lake. If you don't have an ocean or lake, which I didn't before either, I run a very cold shower for two minutes or I jump in a cold plunge pool for two minutes. Your life will change if you do this. You will be alert, awake, nervous system kicked in, flight or flight response. And 1,000% cellular active immediately. Make sure that you get warm after you do that or you will constantly be sick. So you go get warm after that. Once I do that, I go through my gratitude routine, my breathing routine, and I review my goals and vision for the day. Because that's programming something called the reticular activating system. That is the driving force of your brain and reveals the filter through you see the world through, which is in my book as well. Mm -hmm. Then, Depending on the day, I either eat or work out or work out or eat. And that's what begins the first 30 minutes of every single day for me. And once I'm done with that, I'm on the phone, I'm checking emails, I'm replying to the world. That's my first 30 minutes of my routine every day. Very detailed stuff in the book. And then the end of my day, I won't go through the whole thing, but I will tell you it's reversed. It's warm. It's warm. I do something warm, a sauna, a warm shower, a warm bath, warm stretch, warm whatever. But I sleep with the room cold. Optimum sleep temperatures between 60 and 68 degrees when you sleep for deep restorative sleep and I use something called a chili pad oh yeah that's a cooling pad so you know and then I do a reverse of a similar routine in the evening as well very ritualized I lay my clothes out in the mor- n- the night before just stuff that just programs my mind uh, to be ready for the next day so you'll hear all that in the book but that's what I do in the morning
0: man I'm, I'm fired up now because my listeners know that my podcast started the success I mean what is success 101? it's getting back to the building blocks of success and it's all the things you're talking about. It's biohacking. It's how the brain-body connection works. I was in the lowest of lows for my life. And look, you've already mentioned it. There's people that have way lower stuff than you or I have ever experienced, but your reality is your reality. Biohacking, neurology, the brain-body connection, all the things that I do in my evening routine and morning routine, it's unbelievable. And people hear that and they go, oh man, I'm, I'm trying to like like minimize and get stress off me, not add more to my plate, but when you're doing it this way, all the things that I'm sure your book, based on what you just said, talks about, when you put those constraints on your life and you really get serious about your routines, that is what gives you the freedom to have an incredible day. I'm so By excited. Way,
1: to- I love how you just said that. You said it better than me. It gives you the freedom. That's exactly what it does. It's People think routines like that somehow take away your freedom. It actually gives you freedom. Very well said. I'll give you a big thing I've uncovered. I had a really serious heart event happen when I was 30 years old where I didn't know if I was going to live another day of my life. And it altered me in terms of like, that's why this chasing down the version of me, all that stuff is sort of a big part of my existence. But here's what I want to encourage you to all do. I want you to chase uncertainty. The irony of life is we're always seeking balance and balance is boredom. A great life is one with tons of uncertainty. The happiest times of your life, ironically, or the best memories, or the most growth, one of those things, all came through the most uncertain times. The caliber of your life is how much uncertainty can you deal with at any given time. Like those butterflies. When you were a child, you chased uncertainty. How's this work? Let's do that, jump off this, right? And as we get older, we try to chase certain things in our life. But if you think about it in your life, most of the great memories of your life were preceded by those butterflies in your stomach. I mean, if you think about your wedding day, or the birth of your children, or a high school football game, or a speech you had, or some event in your life, most of the things you most remember in your life were preceded by the butterflies. Yet as adults, we try to avoid those butterflies. I honestly can tell you that in my life, I try to chase the butterflies because I know I'm about to make a memory. Those butterflies, that uncertain thing is a memory maker like literally the lord gave you him to say here comes a memory you're going to have forever. And so what's wrong with your life if you're not happy right now is probably you don't have very many butterflies. You don't have a whole you don't have enough uncertainty that you're dealing with. I'm not kidding. You think no, you don't know. I'm broke. That's that's not the uncertainty I'm talking about. I'm talking about chasing something special in your life. And so I want my legacy to be that I get more people the tools the techniques, the strategies, the inspiration and the techniques to chase their butterflies and to make those memories. That's honestly what I want to do with the next 60 years of my life. And let me tell you something, Jared. I can tell you from your spirit, you're a good man. I like you. We're going to do some more stuff together. I, I like you a great deal.
0: Thanks so much, buddy. I can't wait to get out there to Laguna and hopefully uh, get a chance to see you. Talk to us about your new book, we've mentioned it already. What is the name of it gonna be and when is it gonna be out for people?
1: It's called Hashtag Max out your Life and it's Strategies for Elite Performers. And it will be out somewhere around August 15th is my anticipation. And like all of my content, I'll probably get it to you for free. You'll probably have to just ship it to yourself. I don't need to make any money on this space or anything like that. But I really fundamentally do believe that there's things in that book you will, there'll be things in the book you have heard before if you're an addict to personal development. But there will be some things in there you have not that will help you and inspire you. And um, I'm very proud of it. And in fact, um, it exceeded my expectations. It came out. I'm not a great writer. You'll see that. But I think the information will stand on its own. So I'm excited about it.
0: Where can we steer more traffic your way and point more people to you just outside of the book? You could Google me,
1: Ed Milet, M-Y-L-E-T-T. But I'd go to edmilet.com or my Instagram. You'll probably find everything you need in one of those two places. I've got a YouTube. And then my podcast is... uh, uh, it's number one in the U S and it's uh, top five around the world. So you can get my podcast as well. It's very, it's a, a new guest every week and it's somebody you're probably familiar with. So God bless you, Jared. Thank you, brother.
0: If you guys would like to connect directly with me, please shoot my team an email to info at success one hundred one podcast.com. And I'll catch you guys on the next awesome episode until then.